0: Failure is not an option is a phrase that was made famous for us by the movie Apollo 13. It turns out it was never actually uttered during NASA's effort to save the crew of the stricken space capsule, but but as the movie makers were interviewing uh, the personnel who were there in mission control, what what they learned is that this phrase perfectly captured that prevailing mentality as the lives of three astronauts hung in the balance. They spoke with Flight Dynamics Officer Jerry Bostick, who explained to them that instead of panicking, when bad things happened, we just calmly laid out all the options and failure was not one of them. We never panicked and we never gave up on finding a solution. My old job, I would refer to this as F-I-N-A-O. And people knew what I was talking about. It is a great phrase. You see this is one of Colin's favorite sweatshirts and it is emblazoned with these five words failure is not an option and and this phrase speaks to grit and determination and ingenuity and devotion and creativity and resourcefulness and confidence and a, and a willingness to take every setback in stride but keep fighting and fighting and fighting while never giving up And I actually happen to like this mindset when you are on a tough mission and And you need to to get to work and keep working. And I think it is a good phrase, as long as you maintain proper perspective. Because truth be told, sometimes failure isn't simply an option, it's reality. Whether it is professional failure or academic failure, whether it is parenting failure or marital failure, whether it is financial failure or physical failure or moral failure, failure happens. Failure happens and when it does, it shakes us to our core. Failure happens, and it shakes our faith in God and our understanding of Him, and it shakes our understanding of ourselves and our faith in ourselves. And in the wake of failure, we are left wondering, what now? Is there a future for me? Can I recover from this? Can I ever be loved again? And failure is particularly hard if you are an F-I-N-A-O kind of person, and in Northern Virginia, so many of us are. Because if you are that kind of person, then then if that's who you are, the experience of failure is shattering both your confidence and really your sense of identity. And the Bible tells us that Simon Peter was a failure-is-not-an-option kind of guy. Right? He was a man who never lacked confidence, and he was never afraid to demonstrate that to you. He's always happy to prove to you that he had a lot of confidence in himself. Well, After eating the Last Supper on the Thursday night, during the week that changed the world, Jesus told his disciples that they would all fail him. He was citing Scripture for this, and Peter responded, basically saying, eh, You're wrong, Jesus. Scripture's wrong, Jesus. I am better, I am stronger, I am braver, I am more loyal than all these other guys. They might fail you, but I will not. Failure is not an option. And yet Peter was wrong. And Jesus was right. And failure became reality for Simon Peter in the pre-dawn hours of Good Friday. And this failure shattered him. But thankfully, Peter's total failure was not the end for him, and failure is not the end for us either. What happens next in Peter's life reveals the hope that we have in Christ, that we too can recover from total failure. We will begin today in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. We witness here the total failure of Simon Peter. As the passage begins, Jesus is inside the high priest's house. He is on trial for his life, and he is standing alone as predicted, the disciples had scattered when he was arrested. Even though mere hours earlier, Peter had been brashly vowing to Jesus, oh no, he alone, out of all the disciples, would stand beside him at his trial, would die with him. As it's recorded in Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Peter talks tough. Failure is not an option. And as verse 66 begins, he's hanging in there. Right? I mean, yeah, he's not inside standing beside Jesus, but but he's at least still following him, right? In our day and age, we'd call that monitoring the situation, right? He's out in the chill of the night in the courtyard, but but he is about to be tested and he's about to be found terribly lacking as he warms himself by the by the fire in the high priest's courtyard, one of the priest's servant girls recognizes him, probably from one of the various controversial events that have been taking place all week long as uh, during the Super Bowl week of Jesus, to borrow Philip's phrase. And this girl knew that Peter was an associate of Jesus. And, And so she confronts him about it and she says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And you can tell, right, fear takes a hold of Peter and so he vigorously denies it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And this this phrasing is extraordinarily emphatic. He, he is lying vehemently to avoid being identified as an associate of Jesus, the criminal. I neither know nor understand what you mean about me being around Jesus. If we were using it in today's language, this, the phrase then is the equivalent of our phrase, you are out of your mind, lady. That is what Peter is resorting to. And as Peter denies Jesus, the rooster crows, but apparently Peter is so caught up in his fear that that he doesn't notice this warning sign. He is desperate to escape from this this troublesome girl before he gets himself arrested, and so he, he moves out into the forecourt, still monitoring the situation. But she comes back. Right, She starts to stir up the crowd. This man is one of them. And once again, you just, you just feel like, you know, the, that sensation in his gut as fear is taking over. And so once again, he lies to save his skin. But you can start to hear, can't you, in this narrative, the crowd beginning to kind of mutter agreement. They're, they're sort of talking to themselves, yeah, yeah, I think she's right, yeah. They start to give him a hard look, give him a hard listen. They're like, that, that accent, right? You're clearly from Galilee the crowd says, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, right? The crowd is starting to get restive, right? We have to assume that Peter is terrified at this point. He knows the crowd is about to turn on him, and he is desperate to save his own skin, and so he will go to the extreme to save himself. Scripture reports that Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And if that sounds bad to you, Let me assure you that if you were there in the first century, it was worse. The original Greek text says that Peter invoked a curse on himself, specifically asking that he become anathema. We know that word in English, too. It means the same thing. That he is an enemy of God, that he would be hated by God if he were lying. This is what he's invoking on himself to demonstrate that clearly he didn't know this guy Jesus. He swore by God that he did not know Jesus. And with these words, he is inviting Christ to deny him before God, because Jesus had already said in Matthew 10, 33, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so with his desperate words, with his eager desire to get away from this situation, Peter has simultaneously made himself an enemy of both God and Jesus. And as the rooster crows again, Peter recognizes, as he realizes what he has done, he recognizes his complete and total failure, and his realization shatters him. Verse seventy two concludes, and he broke down and wept. Have you ever failed like Peter failed? Have you ever failed so badly that you thought there was no hope of recovering? Have you ever failed so badly that you you wondered if God could ever even love you again? And even if you have not, that day may yet come, and so we can ask and should ask, can you recover from a total failure like this? Is it even possible to recover when you have so badly offended and rejected God that you can't imagine undoing it? Can you recover from a position where you feel like God may be cursing you and that you deserve it the way Peter invoked it on himself? Well, it has to be possible to recover from failure like this because after Peter the rock crumbled like sand, we know that he went on to lead the early church to to spread the gospel far and wide, to even write books of the Bible. So how can this be possible for an enemy of God, a denier of Christ? If you do something this terrible, how can God possibly forgive you? How do you get a second chance when you deny knowing Christ after spending three years in his presence? What did Peter do to recover? How can we recover when it's our failure? How can you recover? Well, first realize you can't do anything to recover. Peter didn't do anything to recover. There is nothing that Peter or you or I can do to recover from catastrophic failure. Peter wasn't restored to Christ's service because he got back up on the horse and tried again. Peter wasn't restored to God's love because he tried really hard and worked really hard and did lots of good stuff and, and ran some nonprofits and gave to charity and, and things like that. Right? He didn't do enough good deeds to offset this horrible thing that he did, his total failure. Peter was restored because Jesus Christ can restore anything and anyone who is broken and lost and hurting and despondent and defeated. Christ can even restore us when we deny him and invoke God's hatred on ourselves. This is the incredible truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are never too far gone to embrace God's love and forgiveness through the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's see how Peter received God's grace and what that teaches us about how to recover from total failure. So how do you recover from total failure? How did Peter recover? Scripture reveals three steps in Peter's journey. Repent, love Jesus, and follow him. We see the very first step to recovery in the verses we've already read, verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter recognized what he had done and he wept. When you fail utterly, when you fail God, when you fail your spouse, when you fail your children, when you fail your friends, when you fail your parents, when you fail yourself, the first step is to recognize your failure and repent of it. Be truly, profoundly sorry for what you've done and ask God's forgiveness. This is very hard for us. We have to admit what we have done, own it. And ask forgiveness. Don't excuse it. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Don't rationalize it. Don't minimize it. Admit it to God and repent. Turn away from it and ask forgiveness. So if you are sitting here this morning and you are feeling like a failure for whatever reason, like there there is something you have done that can't be forgiven, trust God's word. You can be forgiven. You will be forgiven and it begins here. Forgiveness begins with genuinely admitting that you need and you want God's forgiveness. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Scripture is clear. Jesus takes it from here. This is where Peter's journey goes on. He weeps. He goes back. He hangs around with the disciples. He goes fishing and things like that. That's not what restores him. So let's look closely at what did restore Peter, what Jesus did, not what Peter did. What Jesus did next. To see how Jesus lovingly restores this this deeply flawed man. Restores him to relationship and even restores him to leadership. And what we see is that after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples back in Galilee and they eat breakfast together. And afterwards, Jesus publicly talks with Peter in front of the other disciples. He is is before them so that they can hear what takes place. And it is described for us in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Notice that Jesus did not make Peter do special works of penance or jump through hoops or, or go on extra probation. He did not demote him. He didn't ask Peter if he'd learned his lesson or if he had an action plan for the future. Right? He didn't put him on an improvement plan. He didn't ask him how he's going to make up for his failure. He didn't tell him to try harder. Rather, just as Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times, Jesus carefully and tenderly probes Peter's heart, probes his love for him three times. Three times Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times Peter answers, you know that I love you. Three times Jesus affirms Peter's role as a pastor and leader responsible for caring for Christ's church. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. The restoration that Jesus offers is that simple. Love him. Peter's restoration was not driven by his purity or performance. It was based on his love for Jesus Christ alone. So when you fail, when you find yourself sitting amidst the ashes of some aspect of your life and you have asked God for forgiveness, then believe what Scripture makes clear. You're not forgiven based on your hard work. It is sufficient to know and love Jesus in order to receive forgiveness, just as Peter knew and loved Jesus. Do you love me? That's what Jesus is asking you amidst every failure and defeat. Do you love me? Jesus isn't asking about the externals, the procedures, the policies. Jesus simply asks, do you love me? Well, do you? Peter's restoration ends with the foundational call of Jesus to every disciple, follow me. At the end of verse 19, Jesus repeats to Peter the very thing that he said at the beginning of their travels together three years earlier, follow me. When we fail, whether it is something like Peter's failure or something completely different, the the answer, the, the restoration is the same, that we must embrace God's forgiveness, that we must love Jesus and then follow Christ in obedience. John's first letter addresses issues of sin and forgiveness in the Christian life. Philip called it. But we'll be getting there in just a moment. But he knows I love 1 John. 1 John two one says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that word advocate is describing a defense attorney. That's what that means. Jesus Christ is our defense attorney. Every time we fail, he rises to object to our accuser, the prosecutor, and announced that we don't have to take the punishment for our sins because he already did. see, so The very next verse of John's letter says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the propitiation. His word means the innocent sacrifice needed to satisfy the righteous anger of our perfect God in heaven towards our sin. When Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, died on a Roman cross later on that Friday, he took upon himself all of God's anger, all of God's punishment for our sins and Peter's, your sins and mine. He did that for every person in the world who puts their faith in him as Lord and Savior. And so when we embrace Christ as our Savior, when we love Him and ask forgiveness for our sins, God is faithful to forgive us from every sin, every mistake, every failure, even one as terrible as Peter's. That's where 1 John 1.9 comes in. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must accept God's forgiveness and love in Christ then follow him. As believers in Jesus Christ, the call is to follow him, but the assurance we have is that we don't do it alone. Rather, we are specially empowered to do so. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts the moment that we first believe. And then our task is to follow Jesus in the power of God's Spirit not based on our own strength and self-discipline. This is, I think, the crucial difference between failure Peter and Mark 14, who's boastful and, and swaggers and says failure is not an option until it is. Because that Peter had not yet received the Holy Spirit that allows him to persevere through terrible circumstances. That is the difference between failure Peter and Peter, the apostle of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, who was key to changing the world at tremendous personal cost. That same spirit who empowered Peter empowers us every single day that we walk through this life as Christ followers. You see the Holy Spirit gives us the strength that our human spirit lacks. Right think back to our past. Think back to Peter on that in the dark of that Friday morning in the courtyard where he is he is fearing death so badly he will deny Christ. Suddenly transformed, a man who is no longer afraid once Christ has restored him. Where before Peter had had boasted his own strength about going to his death for Jesus, and then failed miserably when the time came, now Jesus tells Peter that once he has the Spirit in him, that, that one day he will fulfill his vow. He will die for Christ. Jesus explains in verses 18 and 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. See, this phrase, stretch out your hands, was a well-known euphemism in those days for crucifixion. Where once Peter was a free man, one day he would be a prisoner. Not even able to dress himself stretched out on a cross of his own, and glad to do it for the glory of God. Peter went on to do mighty things for Jesus. The whole first half of the book of Acts is describing his leadership, his powerful preaching, his teaching, his miracles, and these things didn't happen because Peter just got his life together with a good program, listened to some some CDs and tapes that, that got him fired up about being a better him. So he never messed up again. We know he messed up again. All had to get all into his face later on. But Christ loved him. Christ restored him and Christ used him precisely because Peter had learned to love Jesus, to receive the love of Christ in the midst of total and complete failure. This fully restored Peter was finally on the path following Jesus the way Jesus had prepared for him to go. Despite his failure, Peter had repented, had loved Jesus, was restored to follow him. And so when we fail, and we will fail, our failure does not define us. It is not the end if we are in Christ. Peter's example is clear, that our failure is simply the beginning of a new opportunity to live for Jesus, stronger because of our failure and our realization that we are utterly dependent on him. So have you failed in life? Are you even now struggling this morning with the burden or the legacy of that failure? And Realize that healing and restoration flow from Jesus and he loves to provide it. So whether it is today or it is years from now, when the moment comes, repent, love Jesus, and follow him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are flawed creatures of dust we think we're all that we think we're awesome we think that failure is not an option but sometimes life brings us failure because we are indeed flawed creatures of dust so lord we praise you for this example of peter what your word demonstrates to us about the endless grace and mercy that flows from you through faith in Jesus Christ, that there is hope in the midst of disaster and failure. So, Lord, if there is any here who is hurting and suffering and feeling terrible because they feel like they are a failure, Lord, I pray that they would, they would embrace Peter's example, that they would repent of whatever it is that needs to be repented of, that they would love your Son and accept his love, that they would follow him, Lord that these words would travel with us all the days of our journey in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to worship in song, the invitation is simple. If if there is something that is just crushing you with a sense of failure, to use these next few moments, whether it is praying in your seat, whether it is praying up here in the front, whether it is coming and praying with Pastor Neil or I, just to use that time to repent of whatever it is you need to ask forgiveness for or if it is to renew your love for Christ to embrace his love to accept it and realize that in Christ there is always forgiveness waiting to rekindle your passion for Christ then use this time for that or if there is a need to recommit your life to, to focus on truly following him to realize that even when you are flawed and make mistakes, there is a future in Christ, and he is even now saying, follow me. Use this time to commit your life to him. Let's worship. Let's stand.